Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and if there's one thing I believe, it's that you're capable of making your dreams a reality and that the world needs you to be living out your purpose. One thing I love is to chat with people doing impactful work in hopes that we can all learn something from the conversation. Not to mention, we get to apply all of that wisdom to our own journey. Each week, you will hear just that here at the Radiant Podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome back to the Radiant Podcast, and this week you are in for quite the treat. We have Natalie Frank, founder of the Rising Tide Society, joining us. We became fast friends, and Natalie is someone I've been following along with for years, so I was truly excited to have her on. She knows a thing or two about community, not to mention building a movement around it, so I can't wait for you guys to hear what she has to say. She gets super real and vulnerable about her brain surgery this year and how that changed her perspective on work. I absolutely love everything she has to say, and we could have camped out on some of these topics for years. So let's get to it. I can't wait for you guys to hear our conversation. Hey, Natalie. Hey, Kelsey. I am so glad to have you on. I have been a longtime follower of yours and a big fan of what you're doing at the Rising Tide Society and just have just really enjoyed following your journey in the online space. And so I would love for you to kind of Get started by sharing your story, not the 30-second version, because we want to hear it all. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I look, I started as a wedding photographer, photographing weddings on the East Coast in Annapolis, Maryland. And I did that full-time all the way through college to pay for school. I did that when I graduated from college. Um, married my high school sweetheart two years after graduating from college and, you know, grew this business and loved every single second of it. Somewhere along the line, I had this realization that entrepreneurship has a tendency to be incredibly lonely. And I felt very isolated from the outside world. You know, I'd wake up every morning, I would get up, I'd make my, you know, seven cups of coffee, no shame in that, (laughs) and sit in front of my laptop, get work started, spend the whole day in front of that computer, at the end of the night, shut the laptop, go to bed and repeat that cycle over and over and over again. And, you know, from the outside looking in, everything was perfect, right? I was growing this great business. I was making six figures. I, my husband and I just bought a house. Like life looked perfect. But on the inside, I felt so incredibly alone. And I just felt like there's no one else who would understand what it means to grow a business like this than somebody who's in the same sort of season of life, somebody who's actually one of my competitors, And it was this moment and this sort of realization actually led me to co-found the Rising Tide Society, which if you're familiar with RTS today, you might think of it as, you know, a massive network. We've got over 75,000 members and we meet in over 400 cities around the world and it's become this big thing. But back then in 2015, my vision for this was one coffee meetup in my hometown of Annapolis and just surrounding the table with good-hearted people that wanted to see others succeed and really genuinely believed in this idea of community over competition. That was the the vision and the heart from day one was, look, none of us should have to sit alone behind a computer all day. We are not created for that. We are created to be you know, in community with others. We're created to have that interaction and to be social creatures. And so this sort of new freelance online business space really has stripped us of a lot of the things that we need as humans to feel fulfilled. And that involves human interaction. So that that's sort of where my story took a really interesting turn. And I went from photographing weddings full time to 
pouring my heart and soul into the Rising Tide Society and quickly realizing like, look, this is absolutely without a doubt my calling. You know, I know that I am meant to create community and I feel so passionately about this subject that I have to commit myself to it. And so shortly after launching Rising Tide in June of 2015, we grew very quickly um, and we actually had the opportunity to go full-time, my co-founders and I, when we met with a company called Honeybook. And we had partnered with a lot of great brands along the way. And anyone who's built a community knows like you've got to find strong partners that can help support, whether it's financially or support with technological tools or what have you. But we we crossed paths with Honeybook when they invited us out to San Francisco to launch a Tuesdays Together meetup, which is what our meetups are called out here on the West Coast. And from that moment, we started a partnership. We ended up actually merging and becoming a community arm of, of Honeybook. It was amazing. Like It enabled me to go full time and lead Rising Tide. And it kind of led me on a really crazy journey of moving from East Coast to West Coast, my husband and I, and you know, trading our, our hometown where we met, we fell in love and we grew up and shifting to a big city on the West Coast. It was a total transformation. That's like the professional side. And then there've been so many personal bumps along the way. I mean, you, you know this, but I was diagnosed with a benign brain tumor when I was in my really early twenties. And then this fall actually went in for brain surgery to remove that tumor. So experiencing that while being, you know, on the opposite side of the country from all of my, my, you know, old friends and my family was really hard. And, my husband and I are walking through an infertility journey right now. And so it's just been a lot, a lot baked into one season. But again, like this is the real story. This is like what it's really about behind, you know, the Instagram accounts and the beautiful curated photos. Like this is my story. Yeah. And I, I feel like you've done such an incredible job with transparency on on your social media, primarily Instagram. I know Rising Tide has a huge Facebook following as well. But was that hard for you to show the hard sides of life? At first, yes. It gets a lot easier. I think the more that you kind of determine how vulnerable you're willing to be with your audience, the the more you become comfortable with flexing that muscle and exercising that muscle. And for me, you know, at first it was just fear. I was terrified of being judged. I was afraid of, you know, what people would think or what they would say. I wasn't ready for any unsolicited advice. Like going through brain surgery is a really terrifying thing. And I, I think I was just so afraid of, you know, what the outside world would think. And then after we opened up about that and I was able to kind of be transparent and say like, Hey, look, I struggle with this. And this is something that's been affecting my life for a very long time. And we're going to go in for surgery. And this is really scary. But you know, I wanted to be honest with you guys. The minute I did that, I think things sort of shifted in my world because I had never experienced what it felt like to take that baggage off of my shoulders and just lay it down. Like stop trying to carry this secret, this thing that I didn't want people to know because I was afraid. And instead, you know, kind of chasing, chasing life head on and, and knowing that my audience, my community should be a part of that. You know, that's a decision I made. Not everyone has to make that decision either, but it was. And at that moment, it just got easier. It became a part of how I communicate with my community. It became sort of part of my brand in a way. You know, I for so long wanted to be this super polished, you know, super curated, super on point girl, because that's my background. I come from like an intellectual background. I went to an Ivy League school. Like my, I was raised by a single mom and I was always taught like be twice as good, you know, work twice as hard. And that was really drilled into me. So that had for so long been this identity that I carried. And the minute, the minute I realized, you know what, I can be me. 
I can be imperfect. I can have an imperfect story. I can struggle and I can share those struggles. And that doesn't take away from what I can offer this world and the impact I can make. Actually, in many ways, it allows me to make a greater impact. The, the minute I realized that, I think it shifted. And I started understanding that I didn't have to hide or pretend to be anybody that I'm not. I can just be myself, even when that, that version of me is broken. Wow. So what was it like? Was was September or October the first time you really shared? From what I understand, it was, right, about your yeah. brain tumor, right? Yes. October was the first time that I shared. And there were very few friends, even in my close circle that knew. I mean, we we were very hesitant to, to share about that. And so October was a, was a month in which I actually updated a lot of friends that I even had a brain tumor, let alone, oh, by the way, I've got to go in for this surgery immediately to get it removed. And it was, I mean, it was a lot. I describe it like a marathon of sobbing phone calls for a couple of days and, you know, up, updating the community and really just walking through it and being terrified. I mean, absolutely terrified, but just gaining so much through that process. I don't regret any of it. You know, I actually don't even regret waiting so long to, to open up about it because I think it made me appreciate even more so how incredible this community that we've built is and how loving and empathetic and supportive we all are for one another. And so, yeah, October was that first sort of moment of, of like true openness and transparency when it came to that diagnosis. Man, so what would you have to say now to someone who sees your life on Instagram or sees someone else's life and maybe missed this or or a year ago, we see someone on Instagram who looks like everything's going so great. It must be so easy for them. But then, you know, they had no idea that you were dealing with this until October or, you know, even the hard parts of running a business. Oh, it must be so nice to your dream to take off, but they have no idea you're paying yourself less than your old day job for the first few years or anything like that. What would you have to say for people who are scrolling Instagram and think, oh, it must be so nice because really everyone's fighting a battle on the other side of that screen, whether it's a brain tumor or whether it's a hard marriage, you know, there's all kinds of, of pain. Yes. I think the biggest thing I like to remind people is that the internet is half of the story. You know, Instagram shows half the story and the other half lives within somebody's heart. And normally that's the hard half, right? That's, that's the struggle. That's, you know, the marital issues, maybe mental illness, maybe infertility, maybe, you know, family struggle, maybe financial hardship. I mean, you name it, human beings, all of us, walk through immense challenges. And so the biggest thing I always remind people is like, look at yourself and look at what you're going through right now in this moment. Cause I guarantee there's something going on in your life that you're struggling with. It might just be a little right now. And I hope that's the case, but for many of us, it's a lot. It's a season of uncertainty or season of hardship or struggle or turmoil or fear. And if you're going through that and on your platforms, you're still putting that best foot forward and you're showcasing, you know, the best sides of your life, you have to understand that that's how everybody else is working around you. And it's part of the reason I really believe in in-person connection. It's one of the main sort of catalysts for why Rising Tide is so keen on in-person meetups and getting together around a table and talking because those walls, they come crashing down when you sit face to face with someone and you understand that they're human just like you and they're going through tough challenges just like you. And, you know, it's, it's easy to get caught up in the sort of masks that we wear on social media. But my God, I love following people these days, especially who 
you know, bring the bad along with the good who are willing to share like what's really going on in their lives. And they have a level of authenticity in the way in which they communicate that connects to me on a deeper level. So I'm even seeing a shift within my own heart about who I want to surround my feed with, you know, who I want to be scrolling through and whose accounts I really want to be investing in and engaging in. And it's, it's, it's the people that I've connected with who are real, who are honest, who are sharing those, those, you know, behind the scenes moments. And I think that we're seeing a shift in that direction. I think we're seeing a lot of stigmas being torn down. I think we're seeing a lot of people opening up for the first time. And I think it's a really great time to assess like your heart in social media and ensuring that you're not taking what you see on Instagram as the full truth. It's half the story. Man, I couldn't agree more. I've I've really found that, like you said, it's so important to just have friends in your real life that you know, you know, the whole story, not just the behind the screen story. And it's so easy. It's so fun to make friends in the online space, but to even go beyond, you know, a few DMS on Instagram, but instead like hop on a zoom call and talk about life. It really humanizes people. And it shows you that really everyone is going through something. The person who's talking about their seven figure business has something else going on in their life. That's hard. And so, you know, it's really easy to I mean, I've definitely done it, assumed it must be so nice or so easy for them, and we're all struggling. And that's not to be, you know, a Debbie Downer. It's just, you know, we're we're multidimensional and multifaceted. And so I think it's just an important conversation to have. But yeah, okay, so I would love to hear about how you took Rising Tide Society from one meetup, probably starting in your hometown, right, to being a national meetup or really international. Y'all have international meetups, right? Yep, we do. We do. It, you know, it started, as you mentioned, just in my hometown. And I think the key sort of initial catalyst for growth was sharing on social media. We were really vocal on Instagram about what we were doing and why we were doing it. And, you know, what we believed in and what we wanted to change in our town and in the industry in our town. And as soon as we started sharing that, we had friends from up and down the East Coast specifically that spotted it, that we had connected with. Just again, like you mentioned, those real friends, those real relationships you make in the industry. They saw it and they reached out and they said, I want that. I don't know what you're doing, but I want that in my hometown. I want that in Charlotte. I want that in New York. I want that in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I want that in Richmond, Virginia. And they, you know, kind of pushed us to say, hey, what if we could actually create an umbrella that all of these meetings could live under? What if we could create a framework that gave people the freedom to lead and to kind of rise up, right? And and organize these groups and gather people together and kind of spur on this, this movement. And so we went from that one meetup to creating a very simple WordPress blog website. You know, we opened up an application form where people could apply to lead and we launched with just a handful of cities and very, very rapidly, it was just that natural organic momentum where people saw something happening and they recognized the need for it in their own life. And they also desired to be a part of it. And from that, you know, it grew because of the local leaders. We have so many incredible local volunteers who host these meetings every month and provide the free resources to their community and check in with people frequently to make sure everybody's okay. And, you know, they really are the heart and soul of this movement. And so when it started to grow, it was because of them and it was their heart and their creative ideas and what they were doing in their communities. And, you know, it was more than just a coffee meetup. We had people welcoming others into their home. We had, you know, bonfires on the beach on the West coast of California. We had people like, you know, in Canada meeting in big parks in the city. And it just, it became something really special to the members of the community. And I think it grew as a result of 
the heart behind it, the people that were a part of it, and the fact that we could leverage the internet to really spread the word. Wow. I mean, and it grew fast, didn't it? Yes, it did. It, I mean, we, it, it's hard to even express in words how insanely fast it grew. But when we launched in June, I mean, we didn't even have a Facebook group until the end of August. So a lot of people, when they think about Rising Tide, they think like, oh, Rising Tide, they've got that 70,000 person Facebook group. And that was like an add-on. That was just like an additional thing that we included at, at the end of an Instagram challenge. You know, it was never meant to become what it is today. And so it did. It went from, you know, nine cities very quickly to a hundred cities within a couple of months. And then now, three years later, we're at over 400 and we are international. We have chapters, we have big chapters in Spain and Germany and around the world. And so it's, it's crazy. It's, it's unbelievable. Every Tuesdays together, which is the second Tuesday of the month when all these meetings are happening, which is kind of cool too. I think people like that, you know, in their hometown, they're a part of something bigger. There are these meetings happening all over the world and they get to be a part of it locally. And when that happens and we're sitting on social media and I'm just seeing these photos coming in, you know, Jamaica from Madrid, from all across the US, all across Canada, it just blows my mind, but it makes me so excited and so proud to see creatives coming together like that because it didn't exist when I started. That was not the way it was. You didn't hang out with your competition. You didn't sit down and grab coffee and like spill the sugar on all of the knowledge that you gained, right? But that's kind of what we've been trying to pioneer. And it, it just makes me really proud to see these local leaders, leaders rising up and, and making it happen. Yeah, you, real, you really have pioneered that because I, I'm sure you know what it's like to sit down with someone who wants to know all of your information, but they want to hold theirs close. So I really think, you know, kind of what you're talking about is an abundance mindset versus a lack mindset. Was that ever hard for you? Did you ever feel the the need to live out a place of scarcity and like, oh no, I can't tell my competitor something. And, and what was the shift for you seeing the fruit of, you know, really being a community that links arms and propels each other forward through sharing, through generosity, through abundance versus hoarding and trying to protect. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting. I talk about this a lot, this idea of abundance in a world full of scarcity. I, you know, I feel like in some ways this was always sort of a part of my fabric of just how I view the world and how I mean it's funny, but I used to play sports up in, until like midway through high school. And I, I, this is an actual example. I just quit because I realized um, I ended up joining the rowing team, but I, I played the cross, I played basketball. I quit because I realized I hated the competitiveness of it. Like I really loved hanging out with people and watching them, you know, succeed and like feeling like the team won. And I was like, that to me was like everything. And my competition was internal and singular. Like I like to compete against myself. And I think it's why I love rowing because ultimately, you know, I was only trying to beat my score from last time. I was trying to like get faster and be stronger, but it's against myself. It's not like everybody else in that boat has to work together in order for it to succeed. And each of us has to work our hardest and focus on, you know, ourselves uniquely in order to contribute to the whole. And that that's like really how I, I think I viewed the photography industry, which was you know, if I succeed as a singular wedding photographer in a small town and I book up my whole list of clients, that means that any other inquiries that come through the door, I've got to refer to somebody else. I'm going to pass that business along. So by me succeeding, I become a financial engine that can actually propel somebody else's business. And so I noticed that immediately in just the wedding world, which is where I kind of came from initially, which was when one of us wins and one of us is able to kind of pass a barrier or raise our prices or increase the value, you know, of a certain service or product, it actually benefits everybody. And that's the way to go versus everybody, you know, cutting one another down and discounting to the bottom and 
trying to be cheaper than everybody else. And it drives success for everybody lower and lower and lower. And the same applies, you know, in any space or field. I truly believe this. I was talking to someone the other day and I said, you know, when, when somebody that you compare yourself to goes further, achieves greater, makes something happen, it's not diminishing your ability to do the same. It's not diminishing your opportunity to go out and to do incredible things and to succeed. And that's sometimes where we get stuck. Instead, that person reaching beyond what anyone thought was possible makes it easier for the rest of us to do the same. You know, not one woman shatters a glass ceiling. It takes thousands of women pounding away at that glass until little, little cracks turn into something larger. And when that first woman goes through the glass ceiling, it means the rest of us can too. And that applies to business, that applies to life, you know, and it is, it's an abundance mindset. It's also a mindset of like, the tide rising, you know, and enabling all the boats to rise with it. And that's, that's really what I stand for. Wow. I mean, you can really tell that through the work you do. And so it's been really incredible to see. And I agree. I feel like it, I resonate so much more with a mindset of abundance versus scarcity, but everything, especially in the online world tells us the opposite. And so how do you combat that on the day to day? Because yes, this is a core value. This is what I stand for, but all the information out there tells me to do otherwise. Have you had to really learn how to stand your ground? Have you had any significant shifts in like, Oh, okay. That might work for them, but that's not the way I'll participate. Yes, I think, you know, there are a couple different things that I've done that have helped me to shift that mindset. Because the reality is, you know, I'm not immune to comparison. And I'm not immune to sort of feeling the scarcity, you know, and the lies that are told amongst that that build up. I'm not immune to it. I am like everybody else. And so there's always a day where I'm feeling down on myself. And I, you know, pick up that phone, and I'm on Instagram, and I'm just seeing everybody else winning. I mean, no more like no greater than going through infertility and watching all of my friends all of them, you know, announcing amazing births and having, you know, their families expand and still being sitting in the same spot months later, right? Like, even in my personal life, I've experienced that, um, that tendency that we have as humans to fall into the trap of, of, you know, looking at the world, like you're the victim and like, it's good for everybody else, but it sucks for you. And, you have to fight it. And so what I do, it's very, very simple. I call it truth and lies. And I call out the lies and I replace them with truth. So when I see somebody, you know, like, for example, you know, when I see somebody get an amazing opportunity, the lie would say, oh, because she's better than you. You can't do it because you're not good enough because you aren't smart enough, strong enough, pretty enough, have enough connections, have enough followers on social media. You don't have enough money in the bank. You didn't, you know, do X, Y, Z, right. Those are all the lies. And we hear them. We all hear them. So you have to call it out and immediately kind of reject it in your mind. Sometimes even speaking it out loud, although you might sound crazy if people are walking around. So like maybe find a private place, (laughs) but call it out and say like, no, I am enough. I have amazing opportunities at my fingertips. I am going to accomplish this goal. It might take me longer. It might look differently, but my story is not worse off because of that. My story is valuable and my path and my journey is valuable and I am worthy. And you have to speak those words over the lies because they can become so loud. And I think that there is something really powerful about affirming yourself. There is something, you know, kind of rebellious about telling the world that it's wrong. And saying, you know, not just one of us is going to make it. 
more than one of us can make it, right? Like it's not that only one person is going to find success and happiness in this world. There is enough for all of us and rebelling against what we've all been taught from a very young age, you know, and, and pushing back and saying like, I am enough, even with everything that I'm up against, even with all the obstacles that I'm facing, heck, because of that, because I'm overcoming those things, because you're overcoming those things, because of what you're dealing with day in and day out. And the fact that you're not giving up that matters. And I think sometimes it can be easy to get lost in just looking at that other half of the story, like I mentioned, and seeing that other half that people are putting out and and not acknowledging, you know, the fact that you are incredible and you're doing the best that you can. And right now that's more than, than enough. Yeah. And I think, you know, something you, you really have a question I had that you've really answered already, but I'd love to kind of talk about is, you know, I've really been camping out on the idea this year of love cost you something. Friendship costs you something. Community costs you something. It's costly. So what has it looked like to kind of equip your audience to really, or to equip your tribe and your community of, hey, we say community over competition, but how do we live it out? Because I'll be the first to say, I had a boss who the second, you know, big promises with their company. And honestly, ultimately, I'm so thankful it didn't work out because it sent me into my own career. But, you know, big promises to be, you know, second in command of her company and all these things. And the second my, and her mantra was community over competition. And the second my Instagram followers were higher than hers, and I wasn't even managing that for her she let me go and said I wasn't bought in. And so that was like a devastating season for me because, you know, I had really given it my all. I had been 100% in, but I was also working part-time for her. So she hired me knowing I had my own things going on. And this was, you know, three years ago. I've definitely worked through it all, but it, it was really the first time I really came down to the place of, oh, we can say something, but what does it cost us to live it out? Even when it's hard, even when say my assistant goes above and beyond, do I really want to be the shoulders that she stands on? Or do I want to keep her, you know, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, so I don't like hierarchy. I want to call everyone onto an even playing field, but that's not everyone's MO. And so how do we how do we do that? Yeah, I'm a three and a seven on okay. the Enneagram, so yep. that's funny. We definitely share that. I think, you know, at the end of the day, we have to always remember a couple of things. One, people are imperfect, all of us, you know, and I think that giving one another grace is really crucial because as much as, you know, people look to me and say, okay, that's her mantra. I struggle with it too. I, you know, I do my best and there are times where I feel those insecurities bubble up or, you know, I, I struggle with one thing or another, but I think the key lesson here in living out this idea of community over competition is to remember that the world does not revolve around any single one of us, that it is the accumulation of what we're doing, the impact that we make side by side as we're chasing our dreams, that is going to change things for the next generation. And I think part of it also, you know, kind of plays into this idea of legacy and what we're really leaving behind and whether we're leaving this world a little better than how we found it or not. And it, it has become almost more and more of, of something that I talk about and I focus on ever since my surgery, because, you know, I really did have this moment where I was like, if I don't wake up from the surgery, what will my legacy be? What will I have left behind? And will it have been enough? Like, will I be able to end my life, like at the very, very end of it and look back and say, like, I used all the talent that you gave me. Like, I God, I like, I used it all. I gave it all. I you know, I did everything I could to leave this world better, or will I not be able to say that? And I think that it's, 
it's something that I personally really focus on because it's a part of, it's a part of my purpose. It's like, it's really why I wake up every morning. It's like, what am I doing to make this world better? So that the little Natalie who's growing up right now today is going to have a better opportunity to carve out a career that she loves to pursue her passion, to use her gifts, to help others, to feel fulfilled, to challenge herself, to, you know, exceed her own expectations and to love herself for who she is. And, and that's really kind of where my heart goes. But I think that it can be easy to throw that hashtag on something, hashtag community over competition to be like, I'm a part of it. Like I, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm a part of the solution and not actually live it. So what it looks like is it looks like understanding that, you know, we're all a part of this together, that we need to understand that leadership, the the way we view leadership, it needs to shift, you know, celebrity and leadership are two distinct things. And in a world where we're online constantly, it can be hard to understand that, you know, a celebrity attracts people to themselves. They want people to look at them, what they're doing and what they're producing. A leader is very different. A leader empowers other people to become leaders. And as a result, a leader actually takes a backseat. You know, I read a book by Simon Sinek called Leaders Eat Last, and it just really captures this concept, you know, of a leader being not the person who gets the awards and the glory and, you know, the accolades, but instead a leader is the person who deals with the tough stuff so that other people don't have to. A leader is the one that gets cut, you know, who gets hurt, who goes forward, goes first and, and really faces what's hard about an initiative or a company or a business or, you know, a dream and in doing so makes it easier for the rest. And I just, I, I think that that's how all of us should view ourselves as we grow as leaders in our businesses and our lives, you know, in our families and understanding what that really means. Because when you understand that, you understand that community has to come before oneself. You know, it's, it's all good. Like we got to take care of ourselves and all about self-love and, you know, taking time for you. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, this is in, in sort of a juxtaposition to that. They go hand in hand. You can't be a great leader if you don't take care of yourself. But what I do mean is that, you know, at the end of the day, we need to ensure that our efforts together are making this world better, you know, we're making this industry better and that we're, we're working side by side to do something that is greater than the sum of its parts, because, you know, that, that is, is the true sort of testament to what we're leaving behind, you know, at the end of our lives, like, what did we do with our gifts and our talents? And did it leave things a little bit better or did it not? Yeah. And and something that really stuck out to me this year and that you basically just said is we were, I know you're a believer. We have a ton of believers who listen to this podcast and some not, and that's totally okay. But you know, Jesus was washing his disciples' feet, you know, like servant leadership. And so how do we run our businesses with servant leadership? How do we build a team that gets served by us as the leader? Because if we have this audience who thinks we're awesome, who can say, you're amazing, you're so wonderful, Natalie, but a team that's dying, that's Mm -hmm. really sad. And so what kind of legacy do, do we want the people who come into the closest contact with us have, you know? And so I I think I really enjoy talking about this. I really love unpacking it and letting it be an open discussion because I think it's so important in equipping people to really carry their purpose and their message with longevity. So one thing that I wanted to ask you about was how did, you know, Going into surgery, I love how you kind of touched on legacy. How did facing um, having brain surgery affect every area of your life? Obviously, it 
from what you said, it made you think about legacy with everything you do. So how you run your business, how you run a movement. How did how did facing that fear impact you? And also, how did it change what's important? Oh, gosh. I mean, how much time do we have? Yeah, I could gonna... go on for hours. <laughs> I mean, you know, professionally, well, let me rewind, actually. The biggest, there's like one big takeaway that I really had from my surgery. And that is around the idea of time. So I think the biggest lesson that I learned is, you know, I got the phone call from my neurosurgeon. I was actually sitting in the exact same booth I'm sitting in right now as we do this podcast interview. And, you know, he said, look, we took another look at the MRI, got a second opinion, and the team is unanimous. We think that surgery is the best option. And I said, okay, when would we want to do it? And he said, we need to get you in. My earliest availability is in two weeks. And so it went from being, you know, something that I had been diagnosed with and had dealt with you know, by going in for frequent MRIs, monitoring, but never had an actionable moment like this. And suddenly from that phone call, I had two weeks, you know, and everything in my world shifted because I suddenly felt like I had this deadline just like looming over me, you know, like I'm getting wheeled in, I'm going out, they're going to be going up in my brain in two weeks. And I don't know what life is going to be like on the flip side of that. And I had this immediate desire for more time. It was the one thing I wanted more than anything else. I didn't care about money. I didn't care about fame or success in my career. I wanted more time with my husband and I wanted more time to get on the phone and talk to my friends and my mom. And I wanted time to hug people. And I want like the, the lines of what mattered to me and what didn't became very clear. There was no blurring. My priorities were set straight in a matter of seconds. And time was that one thing I realized I can never get back. And none of us can ever get back, but we don't ever think of it like that. You know, we think we have endless time. We think we can do something tomorrow. We put off the things that really matter for the things that don't. And we do it over and over and over again until it becomes a part of who we are. And for me, it was just this like really strong recognition of where I have failed, where I have put my work before my family and my faith, where I had, you know, given time away so freely to so many people, but not to the ones I really loved. And I would push away, you know, weekend vacations with my husband because I got to launch this thing or I got to do that next initiative. And where there is a place for that, there also is the need for balance and the need for ensuring that your priorities are always, always in check. And so for me, it was just this huge wake up call. And when it comes to, you know, a professional side of things, I also recognize that every hour I spend at work, it's got to be pursuing something that that is getting me to a place uh, closer to my purpose and closer to doing what I love. And that means that, you know, not every task you're going to do in your business or every task you're going to do, obviously, will will make you feel great inside. You got to do accounting. You got to answer the inbox. And sometimes you got to deal with unfortunate situations in life and business. But it should always be driving you towards that goal. And I recognize that there were just like a couple areas in my life, dreams that I had left unfulfilled. I really want to write a book. This is an exact example. And I just kept, I kept pushing it off for other things that didn't matter to me that weren't going to enable me to live out that purpose. I, I recognized that on the personal side, I had really not invested in relationships to the degree I wanted to, the ones that were closest to me, you know, and I had taken for granted the people that, that, are always there and that love me to death and going through being completely kind of stripped away of your own independence after surgery, I think 
was also a huge lesson. You know, I, I couldn't even shower by myself. I couldn't use the bathroom by myself. I couldn't, you know, get up and walk around without somebody holding me up. And, you know, when I was on the neuro floor, I was immediately diagnosed with water diabetes. It's called diabetes insipidus. And basically what happened is when they went in and they did the surgery, they damaged a part of my brain that produces a hormone that all of us have in us that tells our body to retain water that says, Hey, you're a human. You need a lot of water inside of you to survive. This hormone keeps it held in your kidneys. And unfortunately, when they did that, the amount of that hormone my brain was producing um, dropped dramatically. And so I was so thirsty and I couldn't keep any water down. And I had this nurse that just immediately saw the symptoms and she herself went into nursing because she had the exact same surgery and she had the exact same diagnosis. She got water diabetes after her surgery and she, you know, immediately got me the medication for it. And it was like this pivotal moment too, where I recognized like, wow, I take for granted or I took for granted, I should say now, you know, the fact that I'm not thirsty all the time. Like, it's hard for me to remember what that feels like to not be desperately thirsty for water, you know? And it's, again, it's a transformative perspective and it's, it, it just kind of opened my eyes to like, wow, I, I really took a lot of these things for granted and I won't do that anymore. And, you know, understanding that we can lean on other people, even for the most, you know, basic of human needs and understand that that's not something to be ashamed of. And that doesn't make us weak. You know, our ability to refuse to give up in those scenarios is actually what makes us strong. And then the last thing I'll say is, you know, I, I really had to come to grips with this idea of, of leaning into my faith and trusting God throughout this process, because, you know, I thought I knew what it meant to like lean into the Lord and, and have faith, but this was entirely different scenario. And this was a scenario where I was afraid of dying. And uh, my only, my only real choice was to say like, it's in your hands, you know, like it's in your hands. And I, I can't even, you know, fathom what this is going to be like, but you know how it ends. You know how this, this whole story ends. And I've got to believe that there's more to my life than this moment. Like I've got to believe you've got more for me. And so it was, a lot of transformations. I know that was like a very, very long answer, but it was many, both personally and professionally. Yeah. And I think something you touched on, A, I, I just loved hearing you unpack all of that, but B, something you touched on, I think so many entrepreneurs kind of chasing their dreams struggle with when, when to stop, when to slow down and am I martyring my family or my relationships for my dream? I've definitely navigated that. And I think, you know, sometimes it takes big, big, you know, situations to change the tide of our, our trajectory. How has that looked since surgery? You know, with how are you able to kind of close the computer more, more easily and spend more intentional time? in relationships. You know, I know some people, it sounds like you're super relational. Some people are not quite that relational, but you've created a movement around community. So I, I'd say you're pretty relational. How has that changed? Because I think, you know, there's a season for running and a season for resting. And I think in any startup phase, you're going to be running. Like you can't just chill, but it sometimes it takes something big to change the way you've you know, wired yourself for years at a time to get something off the ground. Yeah. I mean, I am a very different person in that respect. I mean, my husband jokes, he, he said to me, he's like, you are very much at peace 
with the day being done. Whereas before the day was never done. I don't know if anyone's ever felt that way, but it's sort of like, there's always more to do. There's always more to tackle. There's always more to accomplish. You're never doing enough. And after the, after my surgery, I was forced to stop because I couldn't, I mean, cognitively, I was not at the same place that I even am today. I mean, I, it took a while for me to be able to have my like, you know, full capacities back. And so I didn't really have a choice. Like I had to just watch a ton of Netflix and hope that I would retain some of it. I mean, that was like really where I was at for a couple of weeks. And now, you know, when the day is done, the day is done, the computer gets shut. Uh, the email goes off. Notifications are no longer a part of my current process. I've really tried to eliminate phone notifications. You know, I don't need to be constantly made aware of how many emails are coming in. I've leaned more into having a virtual assistant. So I've worked more on outsourcing and understanding like I've got a finite amount of energy, especially now, you know, where am I going to put it that makes the greatest impact and what can I pass along to someone who's amazing and who is going to, you know, kick butt at this other part of my business or my life. And so my virtual assistant has been amazing for that. I also, you know, take time to be more proactive. I felt like I was living in a season of reactivity where, you know, I was realizing I need a vacation two weeks after I probably needed the vacation, right? Versus now really taking time to look at my schedule and say to my husband, like, when do we want to go on a trip together? When should we plan a low-key weekend where we just hang in and, you know, watch TV and hang out with our dog and go for walks and actually proactively ensuring that I'm making that balance a priority in my life before I run out of steam, before I hit the overwhelm status. You know, I, I think that that's been really key and probably one of the biggest shifts that I've had since surgery. Yeah. Wow. I, I am, I feel like we have landed in the same trajectory, you know, after, after years of hustle, it is just time to find a new way of being. And I think everything in the online world tells you to go fast, to run hard, to do it and do it now. And this will yield $10,000 tomorrow or a million dollars this month. But how do we do this in a sustainable way? And I think, I think that's the beauty of women kind of coming into this online space and saying, no, how are we going to do this? We, we might do it differently than a man. And we're really kind of on an equal playing field, but our expression may look a lot different. Right. One of my friends, Alexis always says, you know, masculine energy says, go get it. And feminine energy says, let it come. And I definitely went and got it for a few years, but I'm trying to tap into that. Let it come space. Absolutely. <laughs> so it has been such a joy having you today. What would you leave with, you know, what piece of advice would you leave to the girl who is, you know, in the trenches of bringing her dream to life or, you know, kind of seasoned, but could use a fresh perspective? I think the biggest thing I would say is where you are right now matters. You know, we get in a habit of striving constantly, of comparing ourselves constantly, of struggling constantly, hustling constantly, looking, you know, three years forward at all times and wanting to be somewhere else. But I would tell you that this moment that you're in right now, it is so precious. And this time that you have, it is so finite and so incredible to just cherish it, to lean into it, to enjoy it, even if you're in the messy middle, even if you're at, you know, an early and rough beginning whatever season you're stepping into, just cherish it and know that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And really, really, really make sure that you're loving yourself every step of the way, that you're not allowing the lies to cloud the truth. And know that, you know, it, it will always be a journey. You're never going to reach a destination where you suddenly are like, all right, 
I've done it. I am successful and that is it. You will always be, you know, there'll always be something else to accomplish and somewhere else to go and something else to do. So just appreciate where you are. That's what I would say. Oh, yes. A second that. And that's something I can be working on too. Where can everyone find you? The best place is Instagram. I'm on there way too much, but I love it because it it just kind of serves as both a way for me to share what's going on in my life and then actually connect with you guys. So I would say head on to Instagram. You can find me at, at Natalie Frank and Frank has an E at the end. Kind of fun. I have no idea why they did that. Makes no <laughs> sense. But um, you can also get plugged into Rising Tide, which is at Rising Tide Society on Instagram as well. And then I, I hope that if you are someone that has a local meetup in your area that you, ch- you check it out, you try it out. It's totally free. Just go and, you know, see a Tuesdays together, see what it's about and share your, your heart, and your brilliance with that group of creatives. You might be surprised, you know, how it makes you feel. Oh, yep. I go to the one in Colorado Springs. So it has been so fun to have you. Thank you so much for just your transparency, your vulnerability, and everything you've shared with us today. I know our listeners are going to be super stoked to hear your story. Well, thank you so much for having me. Seriously, such an honor. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other. Cozy up for the holidays with 60% off everything at Banana Republic Factory, including soft sweaters, comfy pajamas, must-have gifts, and more from $9.99. Find your nearest store now, only at Banana Republic Factory. Get 50 through 70% off almost everything at Gap Factory and GapFactory.com. Plus, shop new doorbusters for the family, including outerwear, jeans, and our Gap logo crew neck sweatshirt. Find it all at Gap Factory or GapFactory.com through December 14th. Translation, BOGO three ways when the Bengals win. That's right, Who Day ways are back at Gold Star. The day after a Bengals victory, buy one regular three-way and get one three-way. Huh? See what I did there? So, in conclusion, buy one regular three-way and get one free. Remember, the day after the Bengals win, head to Gold Star and ask for Who Day ways. Oh, you said it. Only at Gold Star.